On today's show, I share Better Belly Podcast's first ever on-air health strategy session with Katarina. Katarina is a teacher in Austria who very suddenly began having severe acid reflux problems one month ago. When Katarina reached out to me, I asked her if we could do a free health strategy session and if I could share it with you all. She is struggling with something I hear so many people struggling with, and I cherish the idea of you, my listeners, getting to listen in on her session. Graciously, Katarina said yes, and I'm so glad she did. You won't be disappointed with today's episode. Welcome to the Better Belly Podcast, where we find freedom from food restrictions, we increase energy in our lives, and we begin to feel healthy and vibrant again by finding the root cause of our gut health problems. My name's Allison Jordan, marathon runner, functional medicine practitioner, certified craniosacral therapist, gut health nerd, lover of Jesus, and owner of the Better Belly Therapies, a clinic based in Ann Arbor, Michigan that works with both virtual and local clients to help them achieve the best health of their life. I am here to walk with you on your journey to a better belly and a better life. We're going to go beyond popping a probiotic and checking out our poop. In this show, we are going to go deep into gut transformation strategies that last for life. If you're ready to feel your best, get ready to roll. You are in the right place. Thank you for listening to the Better Belly Podcast. Just a reminder, this information is not meant to diagnose, manage, or treat disease. Always consult with your own health practitioner before you make changes. Okay, guys, I am so excited to share with you today our first ever free health strategy session where you guys are going to be able to hear what it's like to work with me in a health strategy session. It's normally a 60-minute conversation where we're diving into whatever your area of concern is for your health, and you walk away with my top recommendations of what you can do next to address those areas and any patterns that I'm seeing in your health. So today we have on to the episode Katarina. Katarina comes from Austria, which is so cool, guys. She's an English teacher and she, I think she teaches something else and she'll have to remind us, but I remember thinking she's an English teacher, which is great. Um, and I was an English major, so I feel like we have a, a, a bond. And Katarina, welcome to the Better Belly podcast. Thank you. It's really cool to be here. And I actually just found out about your podcast a week ago, and now I'm already on it. (laughs) Yes. I mean, one of the reasons, Katerina, I wanted you on the podcast is because when you reached out, you reached out with something that I hear a lot. And I said, Mm. Katerina, um, instead of us just working together, would you be willing to share some of your story and let our listeners follow along as we talk about what's going on? So would you share with us what made you want to reach out to me and what's going on? Yeah, sure. So I've been to a lot of doctors and they couldn't really help me so far. And for a month or something like that, I've been having real bad exit reflux and it's very annoying. I'm, it kind of, I feel it throughout my whole day and I want to find something to make it better. But actually, the mats my doctor gave me just made it worse. And prior to the um, reflux, I also had a severe headache for several weeks. And the doctors just prescribed me um, pain mats. And yeah, 
maybe that caused it, but I don't know, of course. Right, right. So, and that's what you told me. And I remember thinking, okay, acid reflux is really, really common for people that I'm working with. You said the medication that you were given made it worse. Was that the headache Mm. medication you were referring to or? Um, The headache medication first, not, but only after one and a half weeks, I noticed that, of course, my belly started to act up. I started to get diarrhea and the, I don't actually know how it's called. What do you take? Um to protect the belly from the pain meds. That's something I also was prescribed. Okay. It's like PBI blockers or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the proton pump inhibitors? Yeah, PBI? exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That. Yeah. Okay. And was it the PPI, the proton pump inhibitors that made you worse? You said you were given some medication that made it worse? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> really and, bad actually oh okay so yeah actually tell me more about that so you, you one of your ppis did you take it in the morning yeah i took it in the morning okay like i already was taking it when i had the headache like one week without it and then uh because i started to have belly problems they gave me the pbi blockers too and i didn't even really need the pain meds anymore but i took them just precautiously in case i needed to take pain meds and yeah okay yeah. Mm-hmm. And so your your headache's gone now, but you left over yes. with this acid reflux. Yeah. Um, and you actually have a couple other symptoms here that you had filled out mm-hmm. some intake forms, have people fill out for the health intake. Um, you also have um, some lack of appetite. You said no hunger. Mm, yeah, which is annoying because I love eating. <laughs> <laughs> Did that also start um, around the same time of your stomach pain and taking those pain medications for your headache? Not immediately, actually. Um, the lack of appetite started like two weeks ago, and it's just I'm sometimes I'm hungry, but I can't really tell anymore. I'm not like really hungry, or yeah, right. You're like maybe, uh, maybe you feel faint, or like, oh, I, I don't mm. feel strong, but you also are like, I don't necessarily have like hunger, yeah, okay, exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you also have um, a couple of things you wrote here, pain or sensation of tightness in the throat and then pain or sensation mm-hmm. of tightness in your lower sternum area. Did that also mm-hmm. start in the, um, since you took the pain medications? No, that started later. Okay. That just started with the exit reflux. Yeah. Started with the acid reflux. Mm-hmm. And so those started with the acid reflux. And then about two weeks later, you were getting a low appetite. Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So before we get any further, I just want to map out a couple things that um, are immediately sticking out with me, even just with those symptoms Mm. before we look at any other part of your health. So I don't know if you listen to other parts of the podcast or read my book or anything. Actually, you have read my book. Have you finished it? Yeah, I finished it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So this might sound familiar, but for our listeners, um, when you have acid reflux and what I'm finding in my practice with people with acid reflux is that there is low amounts of peristalsis. And so peristalsis is this coordinated muscular movement where our body is moving food from our esophagus down to our large intestine and then removing it from our body. And it's it's a movement that happens subconsciously, just like our heartbeat, um, and it responds to our environment, just like our heartbeat. So it's monitored by our autonomic nervous system, which happens all in the background for us. And that system can respond to like your heart. If you get stressed, if you exercise, if you're really calm, if you're watching a movie. Um, if you get scared, even like 
like a friend scares you or something, your heart rate changes in response to all that it gets faster, slower, et cetera. And same with your gut, your gut and your esophagus, your stomach, small intestine, every single part of it is responding to its environment. So it responds to stress. It responds to hunger stimulus. It responds to bacteria. So that is part of what governs our ability to move food along. When you have acid reflux, and what I'm finding with a lot of my clients is that the stomach is not emptying its contents fast enough. And so the stomach senses that there's still food content in it, and it'll keep creating acid to build it up. And not only that, but then the stomach contents aren't emptying. So they're sitting in the stomach. And then when you go to do other things, whether that's just move around during your daily life, going and laying down, sleeping, sitting, maybe eating more, that food is not leaving the stomach. And then it can, it'll come actually up you know, up the esophagus because it has nowhere else to go. It should go out. And the interesting thing, so you mentioned this kind of stiffness and tightness around your lower sternum. The exit of your stomach is uh, a couple inches, depending on your height and your Mm. composition, but it's going to be between one to three inches, typically below your sternum, below Mm. that bottom of the sternum area. And so when that gets really tight, and I actually wanted you to even try just as we're on the call today, if you take your fingers and you put your, and if you're a listener and you're like, I've got acid reflux, try this with us. Um, Take your fingers, put it at the bottom of your sternum, right where that hole is. So like your two rib cages come together and then walk your fingers slowly down. And I want you to tell me if you either at where you started or maybe a little further down, if you hit a spot that's like really tender, it might be extra round or like almost feel like it's protruding. Some people, if it's tight enough, it'll feel like a marble (laughs) Um, (laughs) or maybe it's just painful. Like if you press it, maybe you feel a little nauseated. Do you get anything along that pathway? Um, It's kind of a bit painful when I press it. Okay. And as you walk your fingers down a little, you don't get any necessarily like marble feeling or nausea or like, but yeah, it's tender. Yeah. Okay. So, and that's common when we, and, and, and all the the things I described, not everyone experiences it. So if you're not, maybe experiencing one thing, but not the other, that's doesn't mean that you might not be having what we call gastric emptying, the emptying of the stomach problems. And so what I want to know is why are you having trouble doing gastric emptying? And so sometimes it's a peristalsis, it's a nervous system problem. We're going to talk about craniosacral therapy. And I think that's going to be something at the end we're going to look into for you in your area. Um, We'll (laughs) find somebody that you can work with, visceral manipulation and craniosacral therapy but then also acid. So you did a test for me um, (laughs) for, I'm so curious. You did a test for me that since we first talked and set up this call where you took a baking soda, a teaspoon of baking soda with six ounces of water every morning, just the first thing in the morning. And then you set a timer and you saw how long it took Mm. you to burp. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Okay. So, and then I had you do it at least three times. Um, How did those go for you? Well, the first time I actually thought I'm going to fail the test because I always had the feeling like I needed to burp, but I couldn't do it. And it took me really long and it kind of was the same on each day. So to really burp without, you know, um, swallowing first and kind of make it come, Uh it took around two to three minutes. Okay. And two to three minutes is kind of where we want to be at, but it sounds like you really were struggling is what was going on. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And then another question that I have, and actually I really like your answer, just so you know, um, we'll get to that in just a second. So you, you took the baking soda test, you had a feeling that you needed to burp, but you couldn't, it took about two to three minutes. When did you start the feeling that you needed to burp? Was it like in 30 seconds? It was actually immediately after Eight. drinking. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then lastly, are you on any proton pump inhibitors right now? No. Okay. So what this is telling me is you actually have a high amount of acid in your stomach, but Mm -hmm. your stomach's not moving. And so that feeling of needing to burp, but not being able to Mm -hmm. is actually really, really common when there's some restriction around the stomach and it sometimes it's fascial ligamentous, um, or like the peristalsis is just that unhelpful, but I want you to, I don't know, have you ever seen a picture of the stomach before that, Mm -hmm. that the entrance And then the top of the stomach, the entrance to the stomach from the esophagus is lower than the top of the stomach. You know that? Can you see Mm -hmm. that in your mind? And Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you haven't, if you haven't ever looked at the stomach, just look up a picture real quick. But that top of the stomach is called the fundus. And it's meant to be a protective mechanism so that we don't get acid reflux as much. But what can happen is sometimes that fundus will get stuck. The fundus actually has connections and it actually, we call it articulates. It touches the liver and our diaphragm. And so (laughs) if that fundus, sometimes it can get stuck, literally like sticky, stuck, it's called an adhesion to other surfaces. And then it's really hard to burp. And it can even be some, some people, if you're listening to this, you're like, oh my gosh, I get this. I get acid reflux. (laughs) I get that tender feeling between our cage. If you also have difficulty burping, like a feeling of needing to, and some people even experience it as painful. Like I am getting this painful need to burp. (laughs) Did you feel that? Was it painful at all for you or just like kind of pressure feeling need to burp? Just, um, yeah, pressure like in here, but not really painful. Yeah. Oh. And point to where you say it in here for, for you, yeah. or, or at least not point, sorry, describe it in words. Like it looks like in your sternum. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Yeah. And re- right behind your sternum is, I mean, we have several organs, but one of them is your esophagus. And so mm-hmm. that is corollary with that. So I think by the end of this, we're going to talk about craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation for you. I think they're going to be really helpful, but there's definitely some other things on your your forums that you filled out that I want to kind of dive mm-hmm. into. Are you familiar with the book though, about how and why craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation are helpful for this? Does that make sense when I say that? Yeah, I mean, I read it in your book and it really makes sense. I actually even already looked up practitioners in cats, oh, to see where okay. I live. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, yeah, because and they're everywhere in the world. I mean, were there mm. were there a good number of options where you live? Yeah, there's quite a few. Yeah. Yes, because in my book, I have the instructions. So perfect. <laughs> um, sometimes I do that with people with health assessments. We'll just sh- do a share screen. We'll, we'll mm. go online. For any of our listeners, if you want to do that, we'll have a link at the bottom of the show notes um, of where you can go and find a craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation practitioner near you. But it can be so, so helpful. And again, it's not always about the food that we're eating and it's not always about the proton pump inhibitor. Um, but one of the reasons, Katerina, that your acid might be so high is if your stomach's not emptying its contents. But the interesting thing is, is the part of the way our stomach is supposed to work is that our exit of our stomach, which is called our pyloric sphincter, it's supposed to be really sensitive to acid. And so it'll notice if we don't have enough acid, sometimes you will actually have difficulty emptying the stomach because it gets activated by acid levels. And so um, for some of our listeners, if they're on a proton pump inhibitor, they might be struggling with gastric emptying 
if there's not enough acid, but, and you can do the baking soda test, you want to have a response for your baking soda test within two to three minutes. So you actually, you passed, (laughs) but anything more than five minutes is, is a fail. (laughs) You're, you're good Katerina. And do you have any questions thus far about all of that? No, so far it's clear. Okay. So you had five main complaints that I always gather from my clients. We've gone over three of them, the no Mm -hmm. hunger, pain or sensation of tightness in sternum, Mm -hmm. pain and sensation of tightness in throat. And again, your um, esophagus goes all the way up to your throat. Um, I work with clients who, and again, this is how much I really think the craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation could help you, Katerina, is that I work with clients who will come in and they'll swallow food. Tell me if this happens to you. And it'll feel like it gets stuck either in their throat or in their sternum, like they can feel it. Has that been happening to you at yeah, all? Yeah, in uh-huh. the sternum area. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that yeah. means that your peristalsis doesn't want to work right there, right? Mm-hmm. And so it should be moving food along and then it it's not. It's getting probably spasmodic is what it sounds like because it's getting stuck. And so we just want to get that back on the board. If you are listening listeners and you're like, wow, how can craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation help me? I have a whole episode dedicated to that. It'll be linked in the show notes. And you can listen to more there, or you can buy my book. But um, your other two complaints that you'd mentioned, Katerina, were nausea is one. Mm -hmm. And tell me about that nausea. Is it happening certain times a day? Is it like kind of constant? Tell me a little bit more about that. It's uh, totally inconsistent. So sometimes I get it in the morning, sometimes after eating, and some days I don't get it at all. So Okay. I really don't know when it happens and yeah. why. Yeah. So um, it'd be interesting. One thing you can try next time you get nauseated is feel, go to that lower sternum area, right where the bone ends between the rib cage and then walk your fingers down. And I want you to see if anything there is extra tender or extra, and you just did it just now. So you know what your, <laughs> maybe your current baseline is, but if you're nauseated, do that. And I want mm-hmm. you to see if you get that. I described it as a marble feeling like there's like a little pebble in your belly right below there. And what it is, is if your pyloric sphincter is causing that, then you will feel your pyloric sphincter knotted up essentially. And your pyloric sphincter can cause nausea. So if it's dysfunctional, um, which you can make it functional again by addressing its nervous system and by addressing the peristalsis and helping it turn back on, which we I've done, I do all the time through craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation. Um, just again to say that that was going to help a lot. <laughs> that you that nausea could be coming if it's a pyloric sphincter related thing. You'll feel it in the pyloric sphincter. There's other things that do create nausea. There's a lot of things that create nausea. But <laughs> have you ever struggled with nausea ever before in your life, like kind of random nausea, or is this kind of a first where it just is constant and random? Uh, it's the first. Yeah, okay. sounds like it's very related to this new onset of what's going on. Okay. And then you do say that you've been struggling with a little bit of diarrhea. You rated it on a zero. So it's not present or you tell me a little bit more. That was another top main complaint. Um, I had it like every day almost at the beginning of the, um, um, when the symptoms started with acid reflux. Okay. But then I kind of got it under control. I also took, cause the doctor prescribed it, um, the, um, arbo, um, drugs it's the black ones how are they in english i can't think of the words that's okay i know we yeah. have a- these okay. ones <laughs> you're showing me and that helped 
Do you know what the main action is? Is it um, basically keeps you from having loose stool or? It basically collects all the toxins so that it can't get to the liver. Oh, charcoal, activated charcoal, maybe? Activated charcoal. Okay. Awesome. It collects the toxins. Perfect. Um, So are you still taking that then? No, I don't have to anymore. So I, I mean, sometimes my stool is super, um, not liquidy, but soft, but it's not diarrhea anymore. Okay. Okay. So with that, and that's interesting. So this gets to the, another theory that I have that I think that would be interesting for you to talk with your doctors or find someone local to, to see if they can look into this for you. But have you ever heard of the bacteria H. pylori? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I know you're like translating. So by the way, guys, <laughs> Katarina's awesome. <laughs> Getting, <laughs> she's practicing her English with science terms. Just so hard. <laughs> um, so H. pylori is another thing that I think you, I would encourage you to talk to mm. either your current doctors or find a practitioner in your area, maybe a functional medicine practitioner, integrative MD, and see if they can run a H. pylori test on you. It's usually a stool test where they collect a stool sample and see if you have H. pylori. If you have that in your stomach, that would, H. pylori can make you nauseated. H. pylori, especially that you had this intense bout of diarrhea every day and then it went away. You might've had basically an initial infection. Mm. And then now your body's kind of, if you had an initial infection period, your body gets used to the presence of a pathogen and then your symptoms kind of plateau out. And so I actually, I'll share my story and listeners, I'll be sharing more about this in another in a future soon to come podcast episode, but I got infected with a parasite called blastocystis hominis. I'm pretty sure I got infected in 2015 when I went to India and I had lots of like classic travelers, (laughs) travelers (laughs) symptoms like diarrhea, nausea, like a little Mm -hmm. low grade fever, super fatigued, not happy. And it was kind of like, oh, I'm traveling. I'm in a different country. Of course I don't feel great. Mm -hmm. Um, But then this year I did a test, I had a parasite called blastocystis hominis. And basically your body can get used to the the presence of the parasite and you end up just having this chronic low grade adjustment, but you don't ever feel great again. (laughs) So I, I had lots of symptoms, including increased food sensitivities, loss of appetite. I went through acid reflux and my, my whole peristalsis stopped. So the question is, okay, we think your peristalsis is not doing super hot, Mm. but why, why did it stop? Uh, And, and some people, maybe it's stress, a stressful situation. Um, Of course we all go through stress. So we don't want to say, well, every time I get cut off in traffic, you know, I, I'm going to lose my peristalsis. Like we want our bodies to have what we call margin. And we believe our bodies have margin unless we are sick. So that's that. Those are two big things I'm going to say right now for you is checking up on H. pylori. And I'm definitely on it already because yeah. my mom actually had it too. Your mom had H. pylori. Yeah. When, when did she have it? Last year, but I think she has had it for a long time because also two of her siblings had it. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. And that's really interesting. Wow. This is super interesting because the disease progress of H. pylori, we can't, unless we're doing constant testing, which nobody wants to do, or, you know, and it costs money. We don't know like how long we've had certain infections, but it's possible that you even had low grade H. pylori. A lot of times they've been doing testing in populations 
for H. pylori. And it seems that a lot of people have it, but it's in a very small amount and the body basically Mm -hmm. maintains it. And the truth is in our entire gut, we have, we always have some level of what we call like opportunistic bacteria or bad bacteria. But the important thing is that it's always outweighed by the good bacteria. Well, you end up giving yourself some painkillers and we know that painkillers can be really hard on our stomach lining or sometimes our small intestine lining. And so it's possible that your stomach lining got irritated. And if you had any H. pylori, even very much under control, not a problem at all, um, but just a small amount, it might've woken up essentially and started proliferating under the right circumstances. And so you didn't have any of these symptoms before. So, uh, mm-hmm. and then it's possible if you don't do anything about this. And for some of our listeners, they might be like, I've had, you know, acid reflux for a really long time. H. pylori is not the only cause of acid reflux, but um, for you, this definitely sounds like it might've started proliferating and you might have a large amount in your gut. And that's why you started getting the diarrhea too. Cause your body's like, I'm trying to get rid of, it was trying to do its thing. Let's get rid of everything in our stomach so we can try and kill the, the H pylori. And it might not have completely done the job. Or even if it did your nervous system, it has kind of frozen. Your peristalsis needs to be reset. So yeah, <laughs> that all sound good. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, so that you have a couple of other interesting things in your intake forms. And while I think for what you're currently going through the checking out your H pylori, if you are interested, I don't know what your doctors will recommend for you. If you don't want to take an antibiotic, you can look into something called Matula T. Have you, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Did your mom take an antibiotic by the doctors? Did she take Matula T? What did she do for her H pylori? She took, uh, antibiotics, but oh. I kind of want to be careful because my stomach is anyways so upset already if I have it. I don't know if I have it yet. Right. Yes. We don't know. That's for sure. I'm going to list in the notes that I send you of things to check out is Matula tea. It is really interesting. It was developed by a doctor of osteopathy. So a DO um, Mm -hmm. who is traveling the world to try and find herbs that can be as effective in treating disease and infection as antibiotics. And he created this mix of herbs that are found in South Africa and Madagascar. And he named it Matula tea. And it is extremely effective at killing H. pylori. It takes 30 days. Um, They give you your full money back. If you buy it from like the original provider, they'll give you your full money back. If you basically, if you have a test result pre-taking Matula tea that says your H. pylori positive, and then if you take another test post-Matula tea that still says your H. pylori positive, they will give you all your money back. Um, and so like, that's how guaranteed it is. And it's very trusted amongst alternative care and functional medicine practitioners. So I'll even put a link in the notes if people want to check out the provider that we're suggesting. Um, I'll make sure that you get that as well, Katerina. Thank okay. you. <laughs> You're welcome. And then another thing I will recommend with Matula tea that I was going to recommend to you either way is called Mastic Gum. It's mm-hmm. a supplement you can take and it helps soothe the lining of the stomach. It's not going to necessarily heal everything, but it's really good. If you do have H. pylori, depending on the strain, sometimes they're really virulent or like strong and aggressive. Um, and Mastic Gum can really help soothe the stomach, the lining of the stomach. So, and you can take that whether or not you're, um, you could even try it even if you don't have H pylori and to just see if that helps. So I will also leave that in the notes I sent to you. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. 
Okay. So you have a couple other things in your notes and I don't know how connected these are to everything mm-hmm. else. Like what your, your main concern and the main thing that you would love to deal with, which is your acid reflux and everything that comes along with it, lack of appetite. Um, are you okay if we talk about some of that? Um, sure. All right. So one of the things here is that you said that you get pretty bad PMS. And the reason I'm asking mm-hmm. about this is that sometimes I think as women, and I want more and more as a practitioner to be really advocating that, that painful periods, that periods that basically take us out, <laughs> you're like, mm-hmm. either like can't go to work or you just feel half as functional that day. Like that is not normal. I mean, it's common, but it's not normal. Does that make sense? Um, Mm. And so really what that is, and and I don't know if you've ever heard this said before, but we want, as women, we can consider our period as our fifth vital sign. You know, we have our pulse, that's a vital sign um, that can tell us, you know, everything from, are you dead or alive to, you know, do you have a strong pulse? Do you have a weak pulse? We have vital signs. Our temperature, it can be a vital sign. You know, are we running a fever? Are we extra cold? And so for women, men don't have this, but we have, you know, these cycles where we should be having signs that we're fertile, signs that we're healthy. Um, so I was wondering, would you, could you tell us a little bit more about your experience with that? Mm-hmm. So I actually never really had big problems with it. Just, you know, on the first day of period, I usually had cramps and pain. Okay. But then I um, got the spiral. I wrote it down. You know, yeah, for birth control. Copper spiral, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And ever since then, it has been really, really bad. And I even talked to my doctor that I want to have it taken out. And he was just like, yeah, no, just take pain meds so that oh, you don't feel it. Uh-huh. And everything is okay because, you know, the size is okay and it looks good in your uterus. And oh, wow. you shouldn't be feeling bad about it. But, I mean, I've decided now anyways to take it out. Okay. Um, but, you know, it's kind of so hard to be told from someone else, especially a doctor, a male doctor, that you shouldn't be feeling this because everything looks okay. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to suck it up a few more months and see whether it gets better because that's what he told me and I should just take the pain meds. Okay. But yeah, I'm done with it. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, and that's interesting because there's, you know, there's the copper IUDs, there's the copper um, mm. injections uh, where you can get that like in your arm typically is where I've seen them put it. And some women don't respond to copper very well because copper is like, it's, it's hailed as this, it's non-hormonal. Um, so mm. that can be gentler on some women, but because of the coppers, sometimes if you already have something going on inside of you, um, either it can be like low zinc levels, low calcium levels. Sometimes there's other heavy metals present. Basically, the extra amount of copper in your body starts to react with other metals in your body. Both the natural metals that are the, the healthy metals we want, like I just mentioned, zinc and calcium, and then also the, the metals that we don't want there, such as lead, um, mercury, things like that. And so if you are getting those really intense signs, um, Yeah, I would say what you want to do is consider taking it out and then monitor, like, do you go back to having pretty good 
menstrual cycles where it's not painful, it's, you know, it's what you remember it being, or is there, if there's anything left of like, oh, now I got this taken out, but I'm still like, it's 50% better or it's, you know, 75% better. What you might want to look into is either working with a hormone specialist or getting your heavy metals checked. You could check your zinc and calcium levels, but then also get your heavy metals checked and make sure you don't have any of that. And one thing I will say is you also had mentioned in your forums that you, I think you might live in a city that has like a big city. Cause I think you said that there's, there's smog and there's, um, air pollution. Yeah. It's and, not so big, but it's surrounded by mountains. So all the oh, fox stays. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's some air pollution and you said you've mm-hmm. gotten some smoking or secondhand smoking exposure. And so, um, smoking, not really just the air pollution, air pollution. Okay. And so even air pollution can, especially thinking about what are, what's in the pollutants. I mean, it, what's in the gases we're breathing in, there can be metals and heavy metals from things we're burning and um, mm-hmm. all of that. So just something to keep in mind that if anything, it, it might be telling you other areas that you want to look at. Um, Very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would never have thought about. <laughs> yeah. So uh, super interesting and you can look more into it. Um, that's something that I keep on my radar, but I love going to, I would really strongly recommend going to a hormone specialist, looking up someone online, um, and doing that. We're going to be having a hormone specialist come on in mm-hmm. a few months, Sophie Shepard, and she's going to be talking more about that. And you can even keep an eye out for her podcast episode. Uh, she specializes in, in the menstrual cycle and hormones for women. So interesting. Yeah, I know. Keep an eye out. I will um, definitely listen to it. <laughs> yeah. So you have a couple other things on your forms I wanted to go over with you to keep on your radar. You expressed that you have experienced foggy thinking, forgetfulness, um, absent-mindedness, loud noises bother you. This sounds a little bit like a blood-brain barrier problem. And so um, have you ever heard of the words or the concept of systemic inflammation? Um, not really. Yeah, um, that's okay. So systemic inflammation, what it is, it's uh, so if you, for example, get a cut on your arm or you like sprain your ankle, you get local inflammation where that area gets red and puffy and it maybe itches a little bit or it gets stiff, right? You're familiar with that. But if you have systemic inflammation, it's not local in one area. It's everywhere. It's just like, <laughs> honest, I said this to someone once. So I don't know if it, um, I'm not making light of this, but like systemic race racism it's everywhere right mm-hmm. it's it's in every nook and cranny and it and it's so mild and so consistent we kind of get used to it and with systemic inflammation in the body it's the same way where we have this low grade chronic inflammation and it can affect our skin um you even mentioned on here that you have kind of thin or delicate skin mm-hmm. um you have said that you're you have some hair brittle stuff going on dry skin you bruise easily. And some of that can be, is there something going on with systemic inflammation? And usually if you're having systemic inflammation, you also had mentioned in your notes, um, and just for people listening that you feel you get some stiffiness or achiness, especially in the morning. You say it's better. You have it on your Mm -hmm. form that it's better. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that stiffness or achiness in the morning? Um, I actually had it a lot during quarantine time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
And um, I mean, I did my daily yoga practice in the morning. I think that's why I also really noticed it. But it's better now, which is weird. But I was super stiff, even though I did a lot of yoga and everything. But each morning there was some areas in the body, which yeah. were just... Okay. Yeah. And during quarantine, we were all under definitely a lot more mm. stress. Yeah. Not knowing what was going to happen next and not being able to see our friends and mm-hmm. yeah, just being socially being stuck with people in a or, small home. Or, or the opposite, being stuck with the same people. No, I love my people, but... But we all need a break, really. Yes. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so that can create systemic inflammation. And a lot of times the question is, where is it coming from? Uh, Systemic inflammation can come very often from the gut. So as our small intestines are taking in, they're absorbing things, we can absorb the wrong things. We can absorb food molecules that are too large. If you have leaky gut, you can absorb toxins, you can absorb bacteria, um, infectious bacteria. um, And that gets into your blood. And then your blood, of course, goes everywhere. And then that includes, for example, to your brain. And that can affect that foggy headedness, forgetfulness, um, feeling unwell, loud noises bothering. It can affect our mood. You have a couple mood things here. And it's like, it can make (laughs) you feel crazy because you're like, well, maybe if I were a better person, or maybe if I were, you know, had better willpower or something, I wouldn't be so cranky. And that can also be a blood brain barrier problem with systemic inflammation. So another thing to think about, and I'm curious with some of these things where you, you've mentioned those things are all, are all those pretty recent to the foggy thinking, not feeling right, not feeling yourself? Um, I mean, not feeling myself and so on. That's right now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and I'm super angry all the time as well at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Which is not cool for my job either. Yeah. But um, the other things I've had it prior to sometimes more, sometimes less. Okay. And so with the anger, just to make sure I'm understanding you correctly, mm. you're saying that's that's more recent where it's kind of yeah. been, been more intense. Mm, okay. Exactly. Yeah. And so that really makes me think, I don't know if that's related to your stomach solely of what's going on, or perhaps could be being affected by this copper spiral inside of you. If that's affecting your metals in your body, both the the natural and the unnatural metals that we discussed might be going on, but there is some systemic inflammation. So another thing to consider would be anything else going on in the gut. And that could be things you could ask for or try to work with someone to look at is, do you have any food sensitivities? I do a test. I know it's available. I checked up on all the tests that I do and I'm like, okay, can I do any in Austria? (laughs) So this test I can do in Austria. If you wanted to do it, do this um, or this through me, or I could just recommend it. It's called Oxford biomedical um, mediator release test. It's a mouthful, but the takeaway is it tests 192 foods and it's really dang accurate. Um, they have a patent for it. It's amazing. It's a great test. And the 192 foods in America right now, the prices change, but it's about $300 USD for any listeners who are curious. Um, you do need to order it typically through a provider of some sort, but you could check a food sensitivities test just to make sure that's not causing inflammation and then just check any other gut pathogens. So you could do a stool test where it checks out parasites, it checks out yeast overgrowth, it checks out um, your marker, like if you have enough elastase, enough um, GI markers 
for like breaking down food, things like that. So those would be some tests that you could look into and talk with a provider. But we're starting to Mm -hmm. think a little bit broader about your health. Um, And I definitely Mm -hmm. think that as far as the acid reflux, the first couple things we mentioned with craniosacral therapy, visceral manipulation, H. pylori test, the metula T, Mm -hmm. mastic gum, those are going to really, really help your acid reflux. Yeah. So again, and with the systemic inflammation though, I do want to have it on your radar just because I'm seeing it in your notes Mm -hmm. because that can either progress over time where it's like mild and moderate. You even told me when you got on, you're like, well, all these scenes are kind of mild, but then I put them all together. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. And you said you were surprised just by how many things that you were like, actually, I do have that. Mm, yeah no I'm definitely interested in checking that out too because I've never done any test on allergies yeah yeah oh and and just a real quick thing um I don't know when this episode will be coming out but I am having a creating an episode on food sensitivities versus food allergies and so those are different are you familiar with the difference Uh, okay I'm actually not. Okay, and that's okay. <laughs> Which is and it, sad is <laughs> right, and it could be a it could be a translation thing. But allergies, you have an immune response where your body senses the food coming down the line, and it has created antibodies for it, and you attack <laughs> that food, um, and you'll have all your symptoms. That it could be anaphylactic shock, where your like throat is closing up, or mm-hmm. like intense diarrhea, um, very very strong allergy responses, like your you get. Um, nasal, your nasal cavities fill up and your, or maybe your ears fill up with fluid, things like that. That's an allergic response and you cannot change an allergic response. It's just there. Mm-hmm. Um, so peanut allergies, corn allergies, uh, celiac disease is allergy to gluten, but not the rest of the wheat kernel. So you can have a wheat allergy, but not be allergic to gluten. And you can have mm-hmm. a gluten allergy, but then of course you're not going to eat wheat because you don't really separate the gluten from the wheat, but they they can be separated. Um, but then a food sensitivity is a result of your gut lining breaking down. And I want to imagine you have, um, imagine um, your fingers are, are kind of like your small intestines. They have all these like things called the cilia. And so there are these like finger-like projections that are absorbing things. And they don't have, they have a really thin barrier on it. It's just a single set line of cells called your epithelial cells. And then you have mucus on it and that's it. And if that barrier can get broken down from pathogens, from stress, cortisol, bacterial imbalances, um, food sensitivities. But what happens is as it breaks down, you usually get more food sensitivities. Um, And so that's one of the things that I work with a lot of my clients on is decreasing food sensitivities by healing the lining of the gut. So you take away food sensitivities, but then you take certain supplements to replenish nutrients that are deficient. And then the body rebuilds the mucosal barrier. And then actually when you reintroduce foods, you're not sensitive to them anymore because it's kind of like you getting a sunburn and then rubbing a banana on it. Your body might just decide it hates bananas, right? I know that sounds really weird, but <laughs> that's what it's like when we dump food into our stomach and then there's, <laughs> you're like, oh gosh, that's what it's like when we <laughs> have a, a stomach, our mucosal barrier is injured. It's almost like a sunburn on the inside of us, if that makes sense. It is more sensitive to everything. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love the metaphor. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So 
I'm feeling really good about all this. We already, you already know how to look up the IAHP, find a therapist for craniosacral therapy, visceral manipulation. The few people that you did find, um, do you remember, did they have a lot of credentials? Like uh, if you remember the page, if you're looking on it in front of our listeners, if you look on the page on the far right side of the webpage for every, every practitioner, they have dots, these black dots that represent all the courses they've taken um, for you, Katarina, the people you were looking at, did they have at least like two or three dots in craniosacral therapy? Yeah, but there were not so many, <laughs> but there's not <laughs> so many. that. And then anybody with visceral manipulation? Uh, I haven't found anyone yet. One person who is in training for it and also does shiatsu. Oh, okay. Okay. Let's let's take a moment then and look that up. I would actually just like, even for my own, so you, we walk away feeling as confident as possible about where you'll go next for that. So you guys, when we start looking at finding a craniosacral therapist and visceral manipulation practitioner, um, so you're going to search IAHP, find a practitioner or find a therapist, put in your zip or postal code. I usually suggest, especially in America, putting just your first three numbers of your zip code because that search is a much wider area. Then if you really are looking for someone who has both craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation, go to advanced filter and click on visceral manipulation because it's less common. It just straight up is less common. So we've done this with Katerina. I'm clicking find. It's searching the whole bit database. All right. And so we're pulling up people from Denver, Colorado. So we're going <laughs> to, we're going to, we're still in the U.S. Still in the United States. <laughs> okay. Um, then we're going to switch. What is your city's name? Katz. T-R-A-Z. <laughs> yeah. So you have some people, this person, oh, wow. is, this person is really good um, right here. Constantine. Um, yeah. So she or he has four training levels of training in visceral manipulation and two in craniosacral therapy. That's really great. The next person down is in a different city or a different mm, part. Maybe, but it's not far. But not far. Okay. And again, has four levels of visceral, four levels of cranial. This is a little different than what you found then? Yeah. Okay, perfect. I just looked for a visual, uh, visceral therapy. I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, but yeah. craniosacral therapy or yeah. yeah, I would look for both ideally just mm-hmm. if, if I were to think of trying to treat someone with just visceral or just craniosacral therapy, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I feel like I'd only be doing half the justice of what I need. Okay. So I really do look for both. You do have a good couple options here. Mm-hmm. So Ava here, Sandra, Bernard, Constantine. Um, and so are you familiar then how we did that again? Austria city and then advanced filter only click on visceral manipulation. Sound good? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yes, good. Perfect. <laughs> so we're going to stop sharing there. I'm going to add that last thing, just checking on maybe a heavy metal test or mm-hmm. um, metal nutrient, you know, levels. And we're really thinking like zinc, calcium, um, in particular, mainly related again to your hormones and some of the things that came up mm-hmm. there and thinking about after you get the copper spiral taking out, just making sure you don't have too much excess copper. You can have excess copper like syndrome. Okay. Yeah. It has its own symptoms and it's called copper toxicity. So it's usually more intense than what you're describing, mm-hmm. but there can be low, low grade levels of that. 
Okay, because I've actually already looked it up. Oh, but okay. I'm sensitive to copper, yeah. Because as okay. a child, I could never wear necklaces or anything with copper. So it was like, huh, maybe it's not good if I put it in. But then it was always like, yeah, it would be way more severe if I was sensitive to it. So I was like, no, nah, that's not it. Oh, no. Okay, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. If you're sensitive to copper... Yeah, definitely take that out. And then you might even want to make sure that you can do a copper. I'm even going to look up. Have you ever heard of the, this is an interesting word, even in English, but chelation. Have you ever heard of that? No. Okay. So chelation is basically, it's a scientific term for describing getting out heavy metals, binding metals, and then getting them out of the body. And so Mm -hmm. if you might want to go through a copper chelation protocol, just to make sure you have as little copper excess in your body as possible, because you're sensitive to it on top of all that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, Katarina, this has been so (laughs) fun sharing all this and diving in. I'm super hopeful for you and your stomach. I mean, I've seen people make three sixties, no, it'd be a 180. You don't want to be doing <laughs> I've seen people do 180s for people in your case where not able to eat anything, you know, especially mm-hmm. acid reflux when it gets bad, there's, you know, sleeping on a wedge or mm-hmm. losing tons of weight because the appetite is so poor. It's like I, when I went through it, I was just eating peanut butter because it was like the highest <laughs> caloric yeah. density I could mm-hmm. eat. It's like peanut butter and avocado. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and so, I'm already super skinny and I don't want to lose more weight. Yeah. <laughs> and then it, of course, affects your energy energy levels and mm. no bueno. So I'm super hopeful for you. Um, once we get off this call, I will send you all the things we discussed and make sure you have connections. Thank you so You're much. Welcome. For, and for our listeners, I'll be sure all the links of things we discussed, Matula Tea, Mastigum, we will leave in the show notes below. All right, Katarina, thanks so much for coming on the Better Belly Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Oh my goodness, wasn't that episode amazing? I loved speaking with Katerina and getting to work with her in all the nuances of her health. It is so fun to work with someone and help them illuminate that all the different parts of our bodies are really connected. All of our symptoms are really connected. Everything from our skin to our menstrual cycles to our energy levels, our foggy headedness, and our acid reflux. After we ended this recording, I asked Katerina what she thought of the information that we discussed. And she said that this included things she had never thought of and that were never discussed with her doctors. If you want to set up your own health assessment, you can click the link in the show notes to book your own session with me now. I would love to speak with you on your health and give you the next steps that you can look into to boosting your health energy levels and getting rid of your worst and most pernicious symptoms for good. As of now, we are also accepting applications for more on-air health strategy sessions. To apply for a free on-air health strategy session, go to betterbellytherapies.com slash apply or click the link in the show notes. If you love this episode, I am so excited that you found us. We have so much more coming down the line. Subscribe so you can get every episode coming up. And if you also love this episode, I would cherish a rating and 
and review. Your ratings and reviews helps other listeners just like you to find this podcast. And just like Katerita found us through our podcast, find healing for their gut. Also, if there was a friend that you had in mind while you were listening to this episode, I encourage you take a screenshot and send it to a friend. I cannot count how many times when I tell someone I'm a gut health therapist that someone says, I know someone who needs you. So send that friend you were thinking of a love note to their gut and do us a favor and pass this podcast along. Other ways you can stay in the conversation is by following us on Instagram and Facebook at Better Belly Therapies. We love connecting with our listeners and it means so much if you drop by and said hi. And remember, as always, our and my favorite quote, miracles are immediate, but healing takes time.